Hi, I'm Rian and I'm going to take you through a mini lecture as part of your Communication for Health Professionals course. This interpersonal awareness presentation is going to focus on effective listening. Following this mini lecture, you should be able to define effective listening. Effective listening is important to person-centred practice as a health professional. People listen every day, some more actively than others. To listen effectively requires practice and conscious effort. The types of listening include passive listening. This is where you sit and listen while someone talks to you. Active listening, where you actively engage with the content of the speaker and attempt to achieve mutual understanding. Passive listening means you may not remember what you have heard. Active listening usually means you are able to relate to and remember some of the content of the message. Passive listening does not allow the speaker to know whether or not the listener can hear or understand them. Whereas active listening communicates that the listener is actually listening and seeking to understand the speaker. In the health professions, active listening is the most effective to achieve mutual understanding and a therapeutic relationship. You want to communicate respect, empathy, interest and acceptance of the person and their needs. This is best communicated through effective communication and effective listening is a vital component of effective communication. The most effective form of listening is active listening. Active listening engages the listener and empowers the speaker. Individuals have particular styles of interacting that can negatively affect interaction outcomes. These are commonly called barriers to listening. We use these barriers for various reasons when communicating, including to keep the attention on us, to protect oneself from the other person and their style of interacting or the information they want to communicate, to avoid experiencing negative emotions relating to the content of the information, or because it is a learned habit because of the features of a repeated interaction. As a health professional, it is important to overcome our personal tendency to use particular barriers to listening. This can be achieved through practice, concentrating on the person, their needs and on their words, as well as by maintaining focus. If possible, resolve the reasons for the use of listening barriers, such as suggesting another time for the interaction. So how do you promote effective listening? You can face the person squarely. This communicates interest and that you are dedicating your time and attention to the person. Openness and friendliness communicates acceptance, safety and a desire to collaborate and facilitate positive outcomes. Leaning slightly forward also indicates interest and focus upon the person. Maintain eye contact while listening, although be aware this can be considered rude in some cultures. And also try to remain relaxed and focused on the person. 
There are a variety of factors that affect listening effectiveness. These include the ability to hear clearly, distractions and noise in the environment. Are there distractions such as hot temperature in the room? Pay attention to noise levels and other people listening. Privacy is important and might affect whether the person is willing to communicate. Whether the listener is hungry or distracted by something in their body or their mind, physical comfort can improve listening skills. Language, clarity of speech and cultural nuances that change meaning. It is important to consider words as they can have different meanings. Context, which can change meaning. Cultural or social meanings of words and non-verbal messages. Emphasis, vocalisation. Audience and their expectations and knowledge. An effective listener prepares themselves to listen. They remove all distractions and act to reduce disturbances and or interruptions. They focus on the person, their message and needs and they aim to achieve mutual understanding. An active listener considers where they sit. They observe and note the quality of voice, the non-verbal messages, and they respond to what they hear by clarifying, mirroring, paraphrasing, and validating. Clarifying seeks to ensure understanding of any spoken message. It contributes to mutual understanding. It builds rapport and it allows the person to explain. It also keeps the person providing information. Clarifying is a characteristic of active listening because it promotes focus on what is being said and upon the person. Mirroring is repeating what was said so the speaker can hear it. It can also take the form of non-verbal messages and this mirroring can demonstrate empathy. It also demonstrates interest, builds rapport and indicates you are listening and encourages the person talking. Paraphrasing is repeating the meaning of what was said, so saying what was said in the words of the listener. Paraphrasing checks understanding of both the listener and speaker. It builds rapport, focuses on the person and keeps the person talking. Validating is the process of stating your understanding of the meaning of the emotions, non-verbal communication and words, as well as indicating that they are understandable and valid given the situation. Validating messages contributes to achieving mutual understanding. It expresses empathy, encourages the therapeutic relationship, affirms the person and creates a safe and trusting environment. It is important to validate emotions, whether you agree or not with the experience of the emotions. When actively listening to a person, it is important to be psychologically prepared to listen, to be open and accepting, and interested in the speaker and their message. Remain open-minded so you can identify the main point of the speaker and be objective. 
It is also important to continue to communicate interest, to identify supporting arguments and facts. Allow the person to finish talking before you confirm the meaning of each point. Hear the entire message before refuting or judging and formulate questions after the person has finished giving information. I hope you've enjoyed this brief overview on interpersonal awareness, focusing on effective listening. Please ensure you review the material posted on Moodle. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, my name is Avita and I'm going to take you through the different environments that can affect communication for health professionals. This is lecture five, part B. So this mini clip has been brushed can indicate a message to the health professional. How the health professional is also dressed will indicate a message to the person, whether the health professional has taken care of their appearance, whether their clothes or the scrubs or their uniform or even their casual clothes that they're wearing to counselling are clean, if they're ironed. How the health professional presents themselves can indicate how serious they might even take their position. Odour is also an important thing to consider. Health professionals should also be aware that they might not want to douse themselves in different colognes or perfumes as it could be quite strong and even intoxicating to some clients or persons. And when I say intoxicating, I don't mean that in the nice intoxicating sense as is it can be overwhelming, particularly for people who might be a bit more sensitive to sensory environments. Health professionals should ensure that they are clean and also do use a deodorant, but even taking care not to use overly perfumed deodorant. The physical environment and even saying that odour can affect the communication, it can if the person feels that they are actually being assaulted by the smell cologne of somebody else, then they might not focus so much on the verbal interaction. It's important to consider the effect of personal grooming and odour therefore upon the persons in the health service meaning what does your appearance indicate? And this taps into also the learning module this week of considering is it important for health professionals to have a uniform? Is it important that they do dress in a particular way? Why might you think it's important that health professionals, particularly professionals working in a hospital or health setting such as the picture I've included on the slide, why is it important for them to have a uniform? Are uniforms necessary? Also, how you dress, avoiding indications of wealth and status. This can send, or indications of your own personal wealth and status might send a message to the persons as well. Um, an overuse of jewellery or expensive jewellery can may even make the person feel intimidated during communication. Other factors in the physical environment that can affect communication might include the familiarity with the physical environment, meaning familiarity with instruments used in the environment, such as a hospital, and usual procedures. For persons who have come to the health profession to act or to the health professional to seek assistance, they might be not so, so aware of usual practices. Do they wait in the waiting room when they enter the room or the office or the counseling room of the health professional? Where do they sit? What seat do they take? 
How are they expected to? Are they expected to just sit there? What do they do if they need to go to the toilet? Should they just interrupt the health professional and let them know that they have to go? Or should they just hold it in and become really, really uncomfortable? So it's important that health professionals, particularly for first-time persons or clients that they are seeing, do highlight these procedures to them and do so even without the person asking, letting them know that if you do need to go to the toilet or use the facilities at some point to let them know and to also ease that person's anxiety by pointing out where these facilities are. So especially if a person is, say, checking into a facility for a longer stay and a health professional won't be there with them around the clock to let them know where amenities are in case they need to access them themselves. Other procedures and even instruments, so procedures that might be second nature to the health professional, such as bringing out a wheelchair to even assist somebody with entry into the hospital, can seem really unusual and even frightening or anxiety provoking to the persons. So it's also helpful for the health professional to point out that these practices are common. Unknown instruments that the health professional might be using. And again, this is far more in a hospital setting. I can't imagine there's many instruments of the same nature being used in counselling settings, but even familiarising someone with the beeps and sounds in a room and where those sounds are coming from and from what instruments can help ease someone's anxiety. Also, The health professional themselves might have trouble communicating when they have been placed in a different environment, such as if they are visiting an institution for the first time where a patient has been relocated to, particularly mental facilities. Also, there might be times where the health professional does house visits where the patient is unable to come into the office or they have arranged for them to do a house house visit and the health professional themselves might be be in that unfamiliar environment. So it's also important that as the health professional, you become aware of your own limitations if you are in an unfamiliar environment and that you voice any of these concerns to the client, such as asking them where the toilets might be or what perhaps appropriate movement is around the house. Ask if you're in their house, asking them if you can sit in a particular chair. The rooms that are within a particular health setting can also communicate to the client or person seeking help. So the furniture placement and physical comfort. Now this is very important, particularly in a counselling setting, whether it is actually between say a clinical psychologist and a new client, or even between say the nurse communicating with the patient who is seeking assistance. The furniture placement in a consultation room can really communicate volumes to the client or persons without the health professional even realising. So how the chairs are positioned, whether they're positioned to encourage and facilitate eye contact, or whether they are seated side by side, which would be kind of bizarre. Whether the health professional is seated behind a desk, which creates a barrier between the health professional and the client. And certainly a desk would never ever be considered appropriate for a clinical psychologist to have within their treatment room. So how the chairs are positioned is really important. 
particularly when you do consider as well that the health professional is trying to bring themselves in the same level as the person. So not having them sitting across the room or having them in a seat in a position that might even be situated lower than the health professional themselves. Also the indication I said before of who sits where. Once the person enters the room or the consultation room for the first time, they might not know where to sit. So as the health professional, be clear in indicating when you say please take a seat, indicate towards the chairs where the person will sit. It might not always be obvious. Waiting rooms can also have an impact on communicating with the person. Whether it is a waiting room in a hospital, a waiting room in a private consultation or a private clinic, a waiting room in a private counselling uh, house or service, all different waiting rooms can communicate different information. So the lighting in the waiting room, also the temperature, the colour of the room, how aesthetic, and these I guess are all the aesthetics or aesthetic principles that can also communicate information. How clean the waiting room is. What kind of reading material is in the waiting room? So different things that can also ease anxiety is creating or even using some color in the waiting room so it isn't as sterile. Now this might differ from a hospital to a clinical counseling waiting room. But whether the waiting room itself is clean that can also communicate to the person seeking treatment of perhaps even the type of treatment they might receive. So most importantly, for the health professional, it's important to be aware of how these different parts of the physical environment can affect communication or the person going in to receive treatment, what that might even impact what they expect to receive. Treatment rooms and rooms with beds. So particularly here is treatment rooms in hospitals. So once the person may have been in the waiting room, it goes into consultation and is taken to a treatment bed. Has the same principles as waiting rooms. So having it clean and sterile, that it doesn't look too sterile though. There is still an inviting quality. But there are also additional considerations and particularly in treatment rooms, how to ensure privacy. Most most treatment rooms in hospitals will have curtains around the bed and the health professional should ensure that they ask the person before discussing important or private information that others might overhear if they want the curtain to be closed. Other factors in the physical environment that might affect communication could be distractions and interruptions, particularly when these are just sounds and noises that have become second nature to the health professional, but somebody seeking this assistance for the first time might not be used or be aware of what these sounds are. So if there is an ongoing distraction, it might even be helpful to point out to the persons that this noise comes from X, Y, Z, and to just try and ignore it, that it's not a problem. But other things such as telephones, they should be taken off the hook or set to silence so there's no interruptions or distractions for the health professional. Other people should not be walking in and out of the office or treatment rooms and distracting. Outside noises, as I discussed, it could be outside noises which are just ongoing and the health professional might not notice. Or it could be outside noises that might be temporary but could be distracting to both the health professional and the person. The temperature of rooms can also have a massive impact on communication, whether it is too cold and the person's unable to concentrate on communicating, or also if it's too hot and low ventilation, which might actually make the person drowsy. 
If the health professional does have control over the temperature, which particularly in private health, like private um, counselling settings, they might, it could even be beneficial for the health professional to ask the person if the temperature is fine, if they would like it cooler or warmer. Also, a final consideration of the physical environment and how it might affect communication is the physical status of the particular person seeking assistance. Do they have any physical limitations or barrier, barriers that might restrict their movement and comfort in the area? Are they, too, are they too tall for the chairs that have been provided? Are they having difficulty opening the doors or moving um, their movement around the rooms? So these are also things to consider that might affect communication and might also, I guess, affect how comfortable the person is feeling in that particular facility. So that sums up for the physical environment. There are a lot of different factors in the physical environment that we have covered that are different elements that might affect the communication process. Now, there are also elements that might affect communication, not while necessarily the communication is happening, but certainly things like I mentioned waiting rooms and what message that might send to the person who is seeking treatment from that health professional. That might then affect their communication as they've already had a preconceived idea. For example, if seeing a clinical psychologist working out of a private practice and their waiting room is filthy and in complete disarray, the person may already have a preconceived judgment before they enter the room and begin communicating that this health professional doesn't really care or they're not on top of their job. So considerations of those kinds of elements in the physical environment can be crucial to even facilitating communication. For the emotional environment, differs considerably from the physical environment, although these aspects are still considered to interact. Firstly, considering the emotional environment of the person, there is a need to whether it, there is a need if it is, sorry, I just can't say that sentence. Let's just try completely again. Is direct and immediate attention to the emotions of a person required? Meaning, if the person enters the room seeking assistance, whether it might be assistance, whether it might be in a hospital setting or a GP area or a counselor's private room, does the person need immediate assistance to their emotions? Have they entered the room ready to communicate and to talk openly or are they scared from receiving treatment? Have they fought for a long time about coming to and getting assistance? Are they nervous and anxious about seeking the treatment? So it's quite important for the health professional to even read the immediate emotional needs that the person may have. Maybe they've also had previous experience with treatment that has not gone as well. Maybe they've had previous experience with a counsellor or a doctor or a nurse that actually left them feeling um, not so that they felt disrespected and they didn't have as much trust in that health system. And maybe that needs to, maybe attention needs to be given to, maybe attention needs to be given and consideration of their emotions. And this will depend on, I guess, how you are reading the person, how you're reading them when they come in, so how open they might be, if you notice that they look anxious and they're fidgety, or whether they're not offering up much information. So you as a health professional need to decide, well, before we begin to communicate openly, do they seem, or does there seem to be a need for me to actually bring attention to their emotional environment? 
or current emotional environment. Also, different types of environments in the health profession can affect the emotional response. You can imagine going into a waiting or a treatment room in a hospital with different sounds and beeps and people rushing around could be very different to going into a treatment room of a counsellor where it is a private one-on-one -on -one room with minimal distractions. And for a person who might be overly feeling already stressed about receiving assistance, this could have an impact. It's also important to keep in mind that the formality of environments, such as environments that require a more formal response from the person, might also affect how they communicate. Whether they are or can actually speak freely or whether they feel that they need to um, keep their communication formal. There are also different responses that the person can have to environmental demands, whether they're their immediate environment or their external environment. Now, the immediate environment means what is going on immediately around the person. So the person's responses to what is currently happening around them. This could be an emotional response to them going, say, to a waiting room and the person who is on the check-in counter is extremely rude and dismissing to them. Now, somebody who is already experiencing stress about what is happening and then having that stressor in their immediate environment can have an impact on their emotional response. Meanwhile, the external environment are factors that are external to that health service. So the immediate environment is what is currently happening to the person in that particular health setting. So whether there might be distractions or the people around them, Whereas the external environment is what's happening to the person outside of that health service. What's their job situation like? What are their financial stresses, social stresses at the moment? Do they have any physical stresses, anxiety? So what is actually happening outside of the treatment? The cultural environment. So different environments such as the cultural environment that can affect communication. Every group Every different group, including groups of, of families or group of friends, have unique cultural norms that govern their expectations and behaviour. What that means is each group have unique norms that govern how they expect other people to communicate, how they expect it's appropriate for them to communicate with others, and how they behave in general. Cultural environments determine how individuals view themselves how they view others and how others even view them. The cultural environment is not limited to ethnicity and ethnicity is sometimes used interchangeably with the term culture, whereas culture is so much a broader, richer sense of the cultural environment might even include ethnicity, but it includes all different factors. So we might say um, that like an ethnicity doesn't necessarily have its own cultural way of behaving. That would actually be a prejudice to feel that it did or each people's ethnicity had their own way of behaving. But a culture, so even if we said something like um, a even the, um, the Jewish culture for a religious expectation or even a homosexual culture. So different groups might have their own cultural norms or ways of um, behaving. But ethnicity or sexual orientation itself isn't a culture. And this is <laughs> the concept of culture is like a sociological nightmare to try and explain. But at least 
I'm trying to put the message across that ethnicity or race is not a culture. A culture includes so many more factors than just race. Cultural environments influence values and your values directly affect how you expect to interact with other people and your goals of interaction. So we would operate for the majority of us might operate in the Australian culture. And from you watching this lecture now, I would assume that means you reside in Australia and therefore you are aware and familiar with what the Australian culture is. And from living in Australia, even if you are not born here and even if you don't consider, um, oh, even if your religion is not aligned with the majority religion or the majority sexuality, you would still be aware of and even consider yourself to be a part of the Australian culture, which means that that culture has had very subtle but important effects on the way that you interact and communicate with other people. Personal space. I've discussed this before and indeed we'll actually have a lecture later in the semester about cultural considerations and communication. But personal space is a very important thing to consider when you're thinking of how a person's environment is affecting their communication. So personal space might be the distance between the health professional and the person when they sit down to begin treatment. How close are the chairs from one another? Are they at a comfortable distance for the health professional but not for the person? Recognising these variations are also important, but it's particularly important for the health professional to begin recognising their own cultural norms. So just as an interesting task for yourself, try to see if you can pick up over, say, the next few days where you position yourself when talking to others, how your distance from other people might differ from talking to your partner or child or friend to a stranger or a student or a um, co-worker. So how much distance we put between ourselves and other people. Now, what is really important for personal space, though, is this does differ between cultures. Now, most importantly, if the person is from a culture where the personal space might differ from the health professional's norm, the health professional should try not to react when the person might try to open or close the space. If the person moves closer for communication, the health professional should try not to instinctively move their chair away, which might indicate that to the person that they are actually disengaged from the communication. Now within that of course comes uh, the the fine text and that is also in our culture that moving your chair closer to someone could also indicate whether that person might have an increasing interest in you. Now for the health professional and I guess the important thing is the health professional needs to communicate it. If the health professional finds that a person is sitting too close or closing their personal space and the health professional themselves is now no longer focused on communication, they're feeling uncomfortable, the health professional might find it easier to say, get up, get a glass or like get up, move something in the room and take a seat down in a different area. So you haven't actually brought that to the person's attention. Or even if you do say, like, do you mind if I sit back at a comfortable distance? Like, it helps me focus on you. 
colours can also communicate different emotions to different individuals. And it sounds interesting to even say colour, but cultures do have different representations of colour. For some cultures, red is a very aggressive colour, whereas blue are calm, blue and greens are calmings, etc. So colours might encourage a relaxed attitude, but might even encourage an anxiety or an excited attitude. A really important context as well in the cultural environment that might affect communication is time and punctuality. Cultures can even differ with respect to time. For example, Indigenous Australians, and some but maybe not all, but Indigenous Australians may actually perceive time as not linear, which is the way um, time is linear time is perceived as the past, the present, as a future, but instead of a linear fashion, a circular fashion where it's a pattern of time where the individual is in the center of these circles or these time circles and events are placed in time according to their relative importance. So what is happening to the individual might be that is of what's relative important right now. Which is kind of an interesting concept to wrap your head around when you do consider the concept of time as linear. So past, present, future rather than relative or time being circles that shift around and come closer to the individual when they are of, when they are of relevance. This can have a pretty big impact on if an Indigenous Australian had an appointment with a health professional but something else was happening that could indicate to them that that appointment was not important in the, at that point in time. That can also have effects on punctuality, so them turning up. Now, this is just things to keep in, um, keep in mind Sorry, when you're also communicating with people in the health professions from different cultures. Punctuality might not mean the same thing as it does to you. Environments can also affect sexuality, meaning what is the cultural environment or cultural attitudes towards sexual behaviours? Would it be that questions you might be asking the client or person could be considered quite offensive? If the person is from a culture that prizes abstinence, and that's very important, an important value to the person, asking questions about how many times they've had unprotected sex could be really offensive and might actually jar further communication. Now, again, it's not possible to completely avoid these things happening. Everybody is different. And you are bound at some point to run into, an, into a situation where you might have a cultural miscommunication. That might happen. Maybe you have asked somebody that question and they do get offended. The most important thing though, I guess, is just to continue to demonstrate respect afterwards. Whatever, if they are from an abstinent culture or even their culture prizes more casual sexual encounters. Also keep in touch, I mean, it's not so much going into the factor of sexuality, but the idea of touch fits in here as some persons are much more comfortable with the idea of being touched by a health professional, such as the supporting hand on the shoulder or a touch to indicate that things will be okay. Whereas other people might be really uncomfortable about the idea of being touched. Now, you might not necessarily find out until you actually do it what their response is. But again, importantly, continue to demonstrate respect afterwards. Don't feel that you have been personally insulted by a person who might not prize touch as much as you do. I know I'm the kind of person who loves that physical comfort if they're scared, but other people might not react the same way. 
It's also very, very important, particularly for clinical psychologists and counsellors to be aware of the barriers within counselling and psychology and touch with clients. And this is something that you will go on further in your studies with ethical considerations. Sexual orientation, a huge factor. Considering that most people might not have a sexual orientation, well, not most, but there's will, you will. You will have persons, clients, patients whose sexual orientation does not align with your own. This is just going to happen. There are individual differences. Even no matter what your opinion or your judgment of sexual orientations are, you continue to demonstrate respect. Even if the person's sexual preference, orientation, behavior, attitudes, what have you, does not mirror your own. The social environment of the person seeking assistance can influence their responses and also how they communicate. So their response, oh sorry, the social environment can influence, I guess, how they are currently emotionally also feeling, but the social environment can also have an influence on whether the health professional might actually want to utilize factors in the social environment to um, even guide communication with the person or to promote communication. Whether the health professional wants to include the person's family in the, health, in the health goals and process. Now, I guess the underlying theme here would also be that the family included would can be considered to be supportive. One other thing for the health professional to keep in mind is if the person's social environment, particularly the family situation, is dysfunctional and abusive, then one of the immediate goals to facilitate communication is that the health professional creates a safe, predictable environment for the person coming in for assistance. One moment, sorry. The health professional might also want to consider pets which are of increasing significant important relationships to people, particularly, well, at all ages across life, but particularly also for elderly people. Talking about pets and social things that actually give them pleasure might also increase communication. Friends, neighbours, interest groups and sporting teams can also be excellent social supports and might be discussed during communication as well. However, it's important to keep in mind that these can also be sources of anxiety, whether a friend feels that their tough love might be helpful. It can also actually be distressing, I guess, for the person to talk about it. Institutional social environment, there are cases where you as a health professional might actually visit clients or persons who have been, and I'll say clients in this case, because they have been placed in an institution. Whether it is a physical health institution or mental health, that institution therefore would also have a social environment, which would be impacting how the individual is communicating. So I guess the main thing to take from here is those social environments that I discussed would, depending on, I guess, the positive or negative factors of them, would therefore also directly affect how the person, sorry, how the person is communicating with the health professional. And the spiritual environment. The spiritual environment of persons or individuals may be more relevant to other, some health professionals than others, meaning some people might have spiritual environments or religious beliefs that are more aligned with your own than other people that you may see. Once again though, regardless of the spiritual environments, health professionals should still demonstrate respect. 
And the final question I wanted to bring up here, and it's a bit of um, there's no necessarily right or wrong answer, but it's just something I wanted you to be to consider. Should the health professional acknowledge the spiritual environment of the persons? Now, it particularly seems to be a bit of a trend, say, in our um, in more Western cultures, and also particularly in the Australian culture, that the health professional does not necessarily, let's say, touch on the person's religion or spirituality. That they don't, not that they don't necessarily acknowledge it, but they don't directly bring it into the healing process. They kind of operate, not even from a sense of being an atheist, but it's just that it's too personal or even complicated a matter, and so it's not really really discussed. But there has also been discussion that by ignoring that spiritual environment, it could actually be quite um, difficult during the process. So let's say for somebody who was quite deeply religious and who that religion was a really important part of their life and how they identified by then seeking assistance from somebody who it not at all actually recognizes or talks about that environment. And this might be particularly more relevant for, say, counsellors than it would be for a um, consultation between nurse or doctor and client. But there's been a bit of a question now as whether counsellors should actually bring the spiritual or ask more spiritual questions, particularly when the person is of a particular spiritual religious affiliation. So I guess just what I was... Um, what I was really getting out of this was asking you to consider, and again, there's no real right or wrong answer, but what do you think about acknowledging or the spiritual environment of the person? Do you think it could be helpful or would there actually be, would it be rife with things to go wrong? For example, like how appropriate would it be for me to try and acknowledge and even, um, even try to connect with somebody from a religious background um, that was very different to my own and I couldn't actually connect with ideas. Is it right for me to really encourage them to talk about that spiritual environment? Like, it's interesting because I think spirituality has become, in one sense, people see it as a private thing. And unless perhaps you identify the same way, maybe it's better just to not talk about it at all. But I guess I just thought, it's an inter in isn't it an interesting idea? Are we actually doing some people a disservice by not talking about one of the most important elements of some people's lives? Again, there's no right or wrong answer, and there's no real way we can go. Um, I guess the wrong answer, of course, is disrespecting people when they do have a spiritual environment that is different from your own. So I've given you different examples of different environments that might affect the communication between a health professional and a person seeking assistance. So whether they're different environments like the physical environment or social or even spiritual, these can all mean different things and they can all have an effect on the subsequent communication between the health professional and their client. So finally, I just wanted to give you an idea of what these environments might look like as a brief example and how that might affect communication. So here we have a person who is seeking assistance from a health professional for the first time. Firstly is the physical appearance of the person and how they are looking. This person is very neatly groomed. They have worn deodorant. Um, they have worn their shoes are polished so they're looking quite neatly groomed and therefore forthcoming. They have a supportive family, a very supportive family network who has encouraged them to seek assistance. However, this person is also experiencing significant stress at work right now. 
And this is also why they've been encouraged to seek assistance from their family because those external stresses are having a very big impact on their emotional environment. This person is also of a homosexual sexual orientation, which is another reason they are seeking assistance because at sometimes they find that it conflicts with their spiritual environment, which is Christian. It conflicts with their spiritual environment, which is Christian. This person is also of an Australian slash Irish cultural background. Now that can also have an effect on them communicating with the health professional because of whether the health professional identifies with the Australian culture themselves, but also it would indicate those Australian Irish cultural factors might indicate how close the person sits to the health professional, how touch might actually come into play during this health professional, whether it's actually going to be completely, and again, in a counseling environment, it conflicts with their spiritual environment, which is Christian. This person is also of an Australian slash Irish cultural background. Now that can also have an effect on them communicating with the health professional because of whether the health professional identifies with the Australian culture themselves, but also it would indicate those Australian Irish cultural factors might indicate how close the person sits to the health professional, how touch might actually come into play during this health professional, whether it's actually going to be completely, and again, in a counselling environment, generally it is, um, kind of an ethical, let's say ethical grey area. But other cultural factors, the Irish cultural factors could also play into it. So whether the person communicates differently from their Irish supportive family, now again, it's a very, very rich tapestry and all of these different factors, again, they work together. We are all based, we are all unique. We all have individual differences and that's, uh, that's just one example of these different environments that could have an effect. And that concludes our lecture on the environments that can affect communication. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Rian and I'm going to take you through a mini lecture as part of your Communication for Health Professionals course. This interpersonal awareness presentation is going to focus on communicating with the whole person. Following this mini lecture, you should be able to demonstrate understanding of the importance of holistic communication and demonstrate understanding of the aspects of the whole person in order to achieve effective communication. As mentioned in a previous lecture, the whole person is important to health professionals. So too are the five aspects that make up the whole person. Remember, these aspects interact within a dynamic system. These aspects are the physical aspect, the emotional aspect, the cognitive aspect, the social aspect and the spiritual aspect. Although these aspects interrelate, there may be times when one aspect may be more dominant. Let's look at what might produce a focus on the different aspects. I'd like you to try and consider when the physical aspect may be the focus for the person. And how might the person and their physical abilities and interests, or perhaps their stage of life, affect this aspect? 
of physical focus occurs at various stages across the lifespan. When a child is developing their physical skills, when playing a sport, when losing the physical function of a part of the body, or when a person experiences a physical injury. Physical abilities and interest will affect what the person attempts every day. Now I'd like you to try and consider when the emotional aspect may be the focus of a person and how might the person manage their emotions related to events experienced in their life. An emotional focus may not be obvious but it could be the dominant reason for a person seeking help. They may be experiencing distress about a physical condition, they may have depression or be experiencing worry and anxiety about a potential diagnosis. Now I'd like you to try and consider when the cognitive aspect may be the focus of a person and how might this depend on the person and the demands they experience in their daily life. An intellectual or cognitive focus occurs at various stages across the lifespan. When a person is a student and thus engaged in learning activities. This can also be affected by the job of a person and depend on the need to employ their intellectual skills in their daily life. Now I'd like you to consider when the social aspect may be the focus of a person. What may encourage this focus? A social focus typically occurs during adolescence when being an accepted part of a peer group is an important part in developing as a human being. However, particular events in the calendar or in life may mandate social functioning more than other aspects. This might include birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas in some cultures and so forth. People in particular jobs might focus more on the social aspects of people in general. Now I'd like you to try and consider when the spiritual aspect may be the focus of the person. What may encourage this focus? Particular events, including a death or illness or sudden life-threatening experience of the person or someone close to them, may stimulate the domination of and focus upon the spiritual aspect of the person. The role of a person or their job might also affect whether the spiritual aspect has greater influence over their functioning. If consideration of the whole person is vital to ensure holistic communication and ultimately positive engagement in the intervention process, how might your chosen health profession manage the needs related to each aspect of the person? This is a topic you may choose to reflect on and write about in a reflective journal. Holistic care is referring to the whole person, including all of the interrelating aspects of the person, regardless of any dominant aspect at the time. It means not just focusing on the dominant aspect, but considering the impact or influence of all aspects of the whole person. This method of care considers causes from more than one aspect may be contributing to why the person has sought help. Holistic care requires openness to the involvement of health professionals from disciplines other than your own 
to utilise their expertise and maximise positive outcomes for the person. The responsibility for change is placed on the person seeking help, whereas the health professional facilitates and empowers the person to achieve their goals. An holistic approach is fundamental in achieving person-centred practice. I hope you have enjoyed this brief overview on interpersonal awareness, focusing on communicating with the whole person. Please ensure you review the material posted on Moodle. Thanks for listening.